Thank you for joining us on episode 30 of the Hail Married podcast. I'm A. Toves, and as always, I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're excited to be back to recap the spring practice and throw some Hail Mary shots with our way-too-early predictions for the upcoming season. Let's get started. Let's start out by recapping some of the coaching changes that have happened over this offseason and then kind of get into a little bit of the roster changes before we talk about what happened and what we saw at the spring game. That works. So to recap, we had some significant changes when it comes to our coordinator positions over the offseason. The first being Barry Lunny, who left to be the offensive coordinator um, for Illinois. Um, then we had Tommy Perry, who left, He's now special teams coordinator for Colorado State. And then finally, Rod Wright left kind of late in the game, uh, but he left to be the defensive line coach at the University of Miami. You. So a lot of changes um, really just left Jess Lepp as the only coordinator from last year in that same position. Um, instead of going outside and doing you know, a nationwide search, Trailer instead chose to promote from within. So all of the faces that we'll see now in the coordinator positions are all familiar faces, just not necessarily in the same roles. Um, Offensive coordinator, we have co-coordinators, Will Stein and Matt Maddox. Sounds like Will Stein is going to be our play caller. Any initial thoughts on kind of that change? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, Illinois can't beat us, so they just take from us. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so, um, no, but I think, you know, it should be an interesting transition. Um, you know, obviously, we don't... Trailer talks about how everybody's kind of involved in the play calling or in the development of a game plan. So... You know, hopefully from that perspective, there's not going to be too much drop-off, but it'll still be interesting just to see how Will Stein and Matt Maddox not only draw up the game plan, but how do they adjust during the game? Because um, I think Lunny was good at just having a feel for the games, and he had just a nice way of, you know, really putting Frank in a good position to succeed. So, you know, let's just see how that transpires. Uh, you know, I think overall we had kind of talked about offline, like, what does this mean that, you know, we're just kind of, we're not doing that nationwide search, like you said, mm-hmm. that we're promoting from within. But I think, you know, you can see it a couple different ways, but it would be a good way because of the fact that I think Trailer wants to groom his coaches. He wants to see them grow and succeed. So he's the type of guy who looks like legitimately happy as a boss when people he works for go on to bigger and better things. So, you know, I... I I would say that, you know, obviously he's he has an eye for talent, especially on the football field. He certainly has an eye for coaches. So I think Will Stein and Matt Maddox can be fine. I, <laughs> I'm going to stop short about the Jess Lepp because um, I think he's been a question mark for some of us, um, you know, in terms of UTSA fandom verse, I guess you can say. Um, it's It's been interesting because Rod Wright has been sort of that hot name that you've mm-hmm. heard. And... You know, while Jess Lepp kind of took over the the defense at the end of like the COVID year, that first year the trailer was here, and they had this nice run to the bowl game. You know, let's be honest. You know, one of the things I talked about was, hey, that was a great run, but it was against some bad teams. So, you know, how does he, you know, how does he adjust the next year? Well, then we find out that Rod Wright's now, you know, co-defensive coordinator. So, yeah, let's see how they like he performs. I think. You know, in terms of Justin Burke, in terms of special teams, you know, I, I think he's he's going to be fine. Uh, I think there still just needs to be some personnel upgrades and some changes, and I think we'll talk about it a little bit later from what we saw in the spring game. But, uh, yeah, overall, I, I wouldn't be too concerned. I mean, definitely we'll see continuity in terms of play calling um, in the style of play, which I think is something that Trailer's been very passionate about, is kind of keeping, you know, that continuity as he makes these promotions from within. Um, although there was an interesting comment on, it was either the pregame for um, the spring game or it was the Andy Everett show, one of the two, where there was kind of this comment about Jess Lupp looking to have more exotic play calls for um, the defense. So we'll, we'll have to see what that looks like. Yeah, and I think this is a way of maybe disguising some you know, or, or presenting something different to the offense. But, you know, ultimately, I, I think 
it's not really going to matter. I think there's going to be some, um, there's going to be a need for him to kind of back off that a little bit, especially with all the secondary that's kind of coming in. You know, there's, you know, we'll talk about that too, but there's going to be new guys. Mm-hmm. We saw over the last couple of years with experienced secondary, um, you know, team members, there was confusion. So, you know, I think it's okay to say that, but you got to be able to execute. And if you can't execute these exotic things, then you got to be careful what you're throwing at these guys. Absolutely. Another um, interesting or notable coaching change is one of the grad assistants this year on the field, or grad assistants this year on the defense will be Antonio Parks. So we'll get to see Antonio Parks, you know, kind of staying with the program now that he's out of eligibility, um, see him, you know, start his coaching career. And he's already had some notable um, recruiting efforts that we'll talk about a little bit later on. So good to see him staying with the program. And Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Like, I, you know, I, I think it says a lot about him, the fact that he wants to, you know, obviously continue his career in coaching, but also the fact that he has been lauded for being a really good recruiter. You know, who's going to be probably one of the best recruiters on your team? It's going to be your players. Right. You know, you see them all the time on Twitter, like kind of, you know, encouraging each other, hey, come on, let's go, let's do this here in the 210, or let's do, you know, there's a lot of that kind of hype going around. So be interesting to see that transition now as he goes to being a coach and then maybe becoming probably, you know, maybe one of the top recruiters. I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of floating it out there, but that would be kind of cool if, you know, Trailer is able to groom him into something like that. Yeah. So moving on to the roster, um, this season, as it stands today with the roster, um, we're returning eight on offense and five on defense. We have a total of 13 super seniors, a couple of notable names for super seniors that came back this year, um, Kevin Davis, Trevor Harvinson, Frank Harris, although I guess he still has kind of another year of eligibility. We can yeah. get into that later, but he is on the roster as a super senior. Makai um, Hart, uh, Maka, Corey Mayfield and Dadrian Taylor, another big Your name. Your boy Day Day. <laughs> yep, and then and then having him, Jared Sackett come back for um, his super senior season. Which our friend Lopez is celebrating and popping bottles of champagne or Absolutely. maybe Miller Lite in the in Converse. <laughs> we'll talk about Sackett's performance at the spring game a little bit later on too. Two roster changes that are kind of interesting to, to talk about before we get into um, some of the other things that we've seen in the spring. Um, Julon Williams has moved from wide receiver to running back. We'll talk, I'm sure, about the running back situation um, as we get into the spring game. But you know, for those of you who haven't followed Julon um, as a high schooler, he actually was a running back, moved to quarterback, and then in college played wide receiver. So it's a return for him to the running back position, although he hasn't played that collegiately. Yeah, and I kind of thought that it would be cool to see him in the backfield anyway um, last season, but, you know, it obviously didn't really work out, but kind of moved some guys around. Um, I, I know that Lonnie liked to put Cephas in the backfield at times and kind of run him out of there. Uh, so, you know, again, you know, you could see Ty Edwards and Trulon in the backfield maybe, you know, but um, certainly I think with the flexibility that some of these players have, it it gives so much opportunity for the offense and I think gives Frank much more, much more weapons to work with. So that's even better for him. Yeah. On the defense side, um, not a huge change, but Trumaine Bell um, went to the coaches apparently after, at the end of the season and said that he wanted to kind of try his hand playing through the edge linebacker, sort of seeing himself potentially as a replacement for Charles Wiley um, so it sounds like the coaches are giving him an opportunity to, you know, make that transition and see how he does. He always seemed like a tweener to me. Like he just seemed like that sort of kind of down lineman slash linebacker guy. So honestly, a good move by him to, you know, recognize it about himself, but even better for the coaches. And, you know, trailer has been open about it. You know, some guys, obviously some will be ridiculous about it. You know, he kind of talked about um, Rashad Wisdom and Day Day kind of coming up to him about, playing running back again right <laughs> you're not gonna put you're gonna put them in the backfield who knows maybe like the depth gets bad enough you may have to but uh, regardless being more serious and seeing you know a guy like Tremaine Bell and saying you know I that is a good position for you let's do it um and and it sounds like it's worked so again another another kind of different look that uh that Lep can throw at an offense 
Well, let's get into the spring game. We had a couple of big questions really going into spring practice um, and then got to see some of it play out in, in the spring game. You know, again, on defense, we're only returning five starters. Um, lots of key people who left um, this past year. Um, really, the secondary being the big areas, Tariq Woolen, at cornerback, um, leaving. You know, you have Antonio Parks graduating. Um, so we have, you know, open things at safety. Um, the D-line, we lost Jalen Haynes um, and uh, Lorenzo Dantzler. Um, and then, of course, Wiley and Hicks. We already sort of talked a little bit about Wiley, but Hicks being another um, big loss on the outside linebacker side. So lots of questions really going into spring about what those positions were going to look like. A lot of discussion really about cornerback, but I think a lot of questions really when it came to outside linebacker too. So we'll talk a little bit about what you saw at the spring game and then some of the things that we heard throughout spring practice. Yeah, I think mean, the biggest thing for on the defense is the fact that just look how just look how quick they are. You know, it, it's it's certainly really seemed like over the last few years just this growth in terms of um, strength and speed. And you know, obviously, Trailer has talked about over and over about Philo and having more time with Philo so that you know they can go through these programs. But I think the biggest thing for me has been just now seeing them really start to begin to look like a. AAC team, not just a Conference USA team, or, or just a team that's just trying to compete for um, a Conference USA title. Like <clears throat> This is looking like a, a team that can have some depth that will grow. So you see some of the um, some of the secondary that they're bringing in. Obviously, in, in the spring, it was kind of a, a thin uh, cornerback slots. You know, Mayfield was out. Robinson was out. Certainly gave time for some of the younger players to really spend some more time in front of the coaches, get some, you know, uh, looks in front of, you know, against Frank Harris, you know, the number one team offense. So in terms of growth, I think we're going to start seeing that. And it, it just helps in terms of the depth. You know, I talked about some of the guys that, you know, they, they have recruited some secondary. And so I think that's going to be crucial when they combine those guys coming in to these guys here. They at least got to have some live reps. And, the, you know, that, that's that's going to be important for their growth. Um you know, I I think for me the defensive line was never really a concern because it's been a deep team and that's been something that you know Trailer has always kind of harped on is I, I want a, plenty of guys you know on the line mm-hmm. so that hasn't been so much of a big deal um, the linebackers I think the will has been the sort of the question and you know when you're you're talking about the weak side you're kind of talking I think more about the was Hicks. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, there's just you know Jamari Robinson is has been the was the big name. He was a big recruit, um, and so there's there's obviously opportunities for him to step up. Um, but overall, you know I you know I, I think I kind of mentioned to you, um, and I and I talked about already sort of the strength and speed. But I saw them flying around quite a bit, especially when the some of the backups came in for the offense. Um, not that they weren't flying around before, but. Uh, Certainly a difference from a defense that you've seen not only from the beginning of UTSA football, but I would say even from the last two, three years. Yeah, and interesting, um, one of the guys that, that there was a lot of talk about at um, after spring practice, you know, at, questions would come up and they'd ask different guys, you know, who who's, you know, really kind of progressing throughout the spring. And, and one of the names that we kept hearing was Dewan Griffin, um, who in 2019 was a wide receiver, very similar to Tariq um, Woolen, and then changed positions to cornerback. But we really didn't hear much about him until recently. Um, and from all accounts, specifically from Trailer, you know, Dewan is just really doing a great job developing um, as a cornerback. Although I did find it a little interesting. It seemed like Trailer was throwing some unanticipated shade at Tariq in one of the post-practice interviews. Um, it really wasn't shade, though. I mean, it was fair. Well, he said... <laughs> it was a nice dig, but, you know. He said that um, Dewan, unlike Tariq, has great hands and can catch the ball. So if the ball comes towards Dewan, he's going to catch it and maybe rip off for a touchdown. So there's a little bit of a dig there for Tariq. Well, let's be honest. If Tariq could catch... 
he'd be a probably a, he'd definitely be going to the first round as a wide receiver with that <laughs> with that length and speed. You know, it, it's enticing as a, a quarterback position. Though the problem, one of the problems is that he doesn't have an exper- enough experience as a wide receiver. Though that's what he was, where he was in uh, high school, and then right. where he started here. So, you know, just imagine him being able to catch and add him to our top three receivers that we have. Like that. Talk Absolutely. about talk about having a deep wide receiver team like that. I mean, that would have just been amazing for uh, Frank. A um, couple of things to, to keep your eye on, though. Um, in the secondary, we do have a couple of transfers who will be here in the fall. Um, so they've really seemed to secure a lot of depth at this position. Um, again, we don't know exactly what those transfers are going to look like, so we're just anticipating based on what we've seen on paper from them. Right. Um, but... If they are close to what we expect, you know, we're going to go from a very thin cornerback um, room to a very deep cornerback room. Um, and then at safety, um, if Clifford Chapman stays healthy, um, I think we'll be in good position there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, they've got some good transfers coming in. Uh, and, you know, again, Trailer and them and the coaching staff have, they've been judicious in who they're offering to. So, you know, as opposed to, I think, I'm not going to say that they're not going to miss. They're going to obviously miss on some guys at some point. But the thing is, is that when they're bringing in a guy, I, I think they're looking at, they're not just throwing the scholarship out there. Not like back in the Coker era when we were just trying to find warm bodies, to be honest with you. Right. Now it's, let's make sure these guys can fit on our team and let's make sure that there's that talent to be able to provide more depth at a position that what we need. So. All right, let's move on to the offense. I mean, again, we're returning eight starters. For the most part, our offense, we really know what that's going to look like. Um, the two question marks um, going in really uh, to the spring practice were, you know, who's going to play replace Spencer Burford at left tackle and then the running back situation. So um, I guess we can kind of talk briefly about left tackle. It's probably not as big of a concern um, as the running back position has become. Um, but it looks like it's been this sort of battle between um, Demetrius Allen and Ernesto Almaraz. Looks like right now uh, Meech or Demetrius Allen um, is probably the one who'll be the starter, but from all reports, both of them played well uh, throughout spring, so I think we should be in good shape there. Yeah, and I haven't been as concerned with the left tackle so much just because that's that's to the front of Frank's face. You know, he's a left-hander, so he's going to be looking out that way. You're always concerned about the backside. We've got Makai Hart there, so that's why I've just, you know, Spencer Burford was terrific left tackle, and I think he's going to make himself at least some sort of opportunity in the NFL. You know, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, having an inexperienced guy at left tackle, if it was like we had Eddie Lee starting, that might be more of a concern because now you have an inexperienced guy you know, at left tackle and at the backside. Um, I think we'll, we'll be good there. Meech is going to do just fine. All right, well, let's talk about the running back situation. <laughs> you know, going into the spring, you had said you weren't that concerned about running back just because, you know, again, we have so many weapons at wide receiver. Frank can scramble when he needs to. He can be, you know, almost like our, our running back two or three Um but then all of these stories about all of these injuries started to come out. It seems like that has now taken a different um, shape. Well, if the secondary depth wasn't, you know, sort of thin as it was, they decided to not go ahead and go live in terms of the scrimmage. Like, there was no tackling because of the fact of all these running back injuries. Mm-hmm. You had Kedrick Cobbs go down towards ACL in his, the same leg that he tore in, in the first responder bowl. You had um, D'Anthony Lewis, who's been out since the Lamar game, and all they kept saying is they just can't get it right. Whatever it is, they just can't get it right. And then you have um, Jalen Lott, who goes down. Um, they didn't say what kind of injury. There's been this back and forth. Maybe it was an ankle. There's yeah. been talks about a broken ankle. Whatever it is, it's serious enough that it's going to take some time for him to heal. So going into spring practice, you thought – there's going to be a plenty of running backs that can at least step up. 
And Kendrick Hobbs and Ty Edwards, who's a transfer, were the ones that were that were taking first team snaps initially at the beginning of spring practice. It wasn't until Kendrick tears that ACL again where now it's all Ty Edwards. But it became Ty Edwards, a guy that just came from wide receiver to running back, Julon. And then you had Kavorian Barnes, but then Kavorian Barnes goes down with a hamstring injury, so he's out. So then you essentially get to Justin Rodriguez, who's a walk-on. <laughs> right, and, and a couple other walk-ons that they brought on. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, it just, it was warm bodies. And, uh, you know, I was getting to the point where I was like, well, I'm taking a grad grad class, so I don't know, maybe I'll try to dig my, <laughs> take a shot at it. Of course, I'd be the, the best football player ever because I'd, you know, get the handoff, and I would start screaming right away because I know that I'd get hit. And <laughs> I save myself the agony by just screaming right before somebody hits me. Um, but all jokes aside, it just, um, it, it really, while I joked that it, I would be out there, the fact is it was getting, I think, that bad. Like, there right. there was just trying to find it. And that's why I mentioned earlier, Day Day and Rashad were kept talking the trailer and kind of saying, hey, you put us in the backfield, we'll, we'll take care of business. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, who knows? Maybe you do see them play. I, but that's that's a state of things. And I, and I think what's important here, and as, as much as I've joked about the running back position here, the thing is you needed to have some time for these guys to at least get into a rhythm with Frank. And Frank even alluded to that at times. Spring practice is where you get to start getting some of your timing down. You start getting to know where you know, the wide receivers are going. Well, obviously, we, he knows the wide receivers well, but the running backs, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, the running backs also are in charge of helping with blitz protection. So if Meech is having problems on the left-hand side, they need to know I, I've got to be looking that way or, you know, whatever it is. But they need to know their blitz protection as well. So I, I, I think, you know, that there's a missed opportunity here. But it's not because of, you know, trailer or, you know, somebody didn't perform to that. It's just they just ran out of warm bodies and... It's certainly, I think, still a question mark. Hopefully they bring in another. And they talked about bringing someone else in, but we haven't heard anything else about a running back yet. Um, So we'll see. But they do get, you know, about two hours in the summer. I think it's on a weekly basis. I wasn't really sure. I didn't really get all the details on it. But they're going to get some extra time, so that'll help. But, you know, it's just trying to get these guys healthy. And that's... To me, that's why this question mark is going to be a huge question mark going into the season because you've got guys that haven't been able to stay healthy and you're going to go into a season where it's going to get physical. You know some of these guys are going to go down. So right. how do you build that depth there? So you're, you're not saying that we're going to switch to like an air raid offense just to make up for the fact that we're the running backs? <laughs> I mean, we might. <laughs> I, I, you know, we kind of had we're aspects stretch you, of Frank. it. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly I don't think it's in his wheelhouse. Um, but, you know, if he needs to go to that, then maybe he does. But I've always been a proponent of of having Frank in more of a sort of a timing-based short pass offense. I, I think I think he'd be excellent at that. Um, so, you know, but I'm just the guy that's on a podcast, so whatever. Right. What do I know? But, you know, the wide receiver room um, is just as stacked as we expected it to be. Um, one of the, the areas that we absolutely don't have to worry about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you feel like if one guy goes down, you might obviously have maybe a drop-off in quality, but you're still going to have guys that can produce. Yeah. Um, certainly no concerns there. I mean, we had a, we switched a guy, right? So Dewan went to cornerback. Even though it was a couple of years, was seasons ago, you still had to find some other guys. Julon went from wide receiver to running back just because that room is so loaded. So Yeah, and Trailer has talked about um, the wide receivers quite a few times in post-practice, um, mentioned Taiki a couple of times and how Taiki has become so consistent. You know, in the past, trailer nicknamed him Potential because he didn't seem like he was really living up to the potential that we all felt like he could have. Um, but it seems like this year, he said there's been lots of ups, no downs. Um, he's talked a lot about Kennedy Lewis, um, Chris Carpenter, Isaiah Davis, about their growth. Um, so it seems like, you know, again, we have a lot of depth in that position and a lot of potential for future years because uh, Zakari, JT Clark, and Josh Cephas um, are all seniors this year. Yeah, it's a good point. And I, the one thing I would want to say about Taiki, though, is it's good to see him be more consistent. I think the question 
we may have raised during the podcast, we may not, has been, does he really like football? <laughs> and I think there's, obviously it looks like he does, and he's much more focused on it, which it's only going to help him. So, you know, good for him. Let's talk a little bit about the quarterbacks. Um, obviously, Frank's the starter, so no question mark there. Uh, but there's been sort of this discussion going into the spring game about QB2. And was there really this battle between Eddie Lee and Cam? Or was this way of trailer, you know, just trying to, in some ways, hype up Cam so he sticks around and doesn't hit the transfer portal? So what, what did you, what were your thoughts on that? And then what did you see in the spring game? So it's interesting you bring that up because during the interviews, JT Clark brought up at one point that, you know, he talked with Eddie Lee about, you be you. Don't try to be Frank. So I think there was more of a battle for the QB2 spot because maybe Eddie Lee wasn't, was trying to do something, trying to be something that he wasn't. And because of it, it was causing issues in his, in how he ran the offense. So fair enough. Whatever that was, Cam is able to catch up. But, you know, I still saw from Eddie Lee, you see, you see that pop from, from his arm, you see, when that ball comes out, it, it's coming. Um, you kind of see it from from Cam too. The difference is that Eddie Lee just looks to me so natural at it. Cam just during the game, there were a few times where I saw him and he was just waiting a little too long to uh, to let go of the ball, and that's okay in a controlled scrimmage as you're rolling out. But live, you have to get rid of that ball. You've got to make quicker decisions, and I think that's something that he still needs to continue to work on decision-making. Um, Eddie Lee, I think, seemed like he was a little better with his decision-making, but then, let's be honest, he actually got live snaps last season. Right. You know, he got to play against Lamar. He had some time against North Texas. So, all of that put together, you know, I didn't understand why Cam was in the running for, you know, QB2, but I think JT answered our question. Like, that's what it was, is that Eddie Lee was trying to do something that he shouldn't be doing. And, you know, sometimes you start, you think you need to be a certain mold of something in order to get right. some snaps, and just didn't work out. I mean, obviously. Well, Eddie Lee and Frank are just different quarterbacks. I mean, right. Eddie Lee is more of a, pack, a pocket passer, and Frank is really more of a scrambler. You know, so if he was really trying to emulate Frank in some ways, I mean, that's not going to play to his strengths. Right, and but I mean, you get the... I think you get the gist of it. Like, here's the the franchise, essentially. You, know, you got Frank, and this is how he runs the offense. I think something that Eddie Lee just needs to learn as he continues to grow is, yeah, you know, you want to take aspects of what Frank does. Specifically, I would say some of the intangibles, like leadership, you know, stuff off the field. But when you go out there, you need to be you, because that, that's what's going to make you successful. Josh Atkins probably would have been good to probably tell him the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, last thing, Diego Teo, um, coming off an injury, looked a lot better than I thought. Now I'll say this, like, he still looks like a high schooler coming in, you know, in his first first few practices in college, but I can see why they're not as, they're not as concerned about some of the depth in quarter, quarterback. Yeah, and just um, right before this podcast, there had been a conversation about a transfer quarterback who had come and visited... Um, a guy from Auburn um, who just entered the transfer portal, last name Davis. Um, he, I guess, just committed to Alabama State, so that question has been answered. Um, he will not be coming to UTSA, so it looks like, you know, unless they pivot again, um, likely it's going to be um, Eddie Lee, QB2, and then Cam Peters. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, let's let's just hope that, you know, that the, the depth holds up. But I could still see them try to bring another veteran quarterback in. So before we get right off of the, the quarterback position, though, um, you had an interesting um, story about Frank that you saw from the spring game and how he oh. interacted with the defense. So, so we ended up on um, in the end zone area, um, and it was closest, I would say, it was when Frank was kind of coming towards us. Um, and I don't know the direction, so I don't want to say that. Right <laughs> but, through, the direction he was going as he was driving for his uh, yeah touchdown for the pass. touchdown. So anyway, um, he's um, as he's coming down, he, he hits uh, Cephas, and it's short of the the goal line. But you know they were trying to play it off as a touchdown. You know they're trying to you know kind of influence the referees, 
And <clears throat> Frank goes and, like, I don't know who had the ball. Somebody in the defense had grabbed the ball, and he grabs it out of their hands, and he's all, look, no, 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 touchdown. He's, like, trying to celebrate. Drew Prox is, like, telling him to get back on the other side of the line. And Frank, like, gets in his face. So it, it wasn't, I would say, anything malicious, but immediately it was sort of this, you hear about Frank being feisty, how he is in practice and, you know. Uber competitive. <clears throat> yeah. And it was, that's the Frank that I wanted to see. Like, you know, I didn't want to see Frank just come out here and just try to throw two bombs to one of the receivers and then, you know, okay, cool. That didn't show me that you actually progressed. It just shows me that you came out here and threw two bombs. That's kind of what happened last spring season. This one, he was much more meticulous and showed how much he's progressed in terms of driving the team down the field. So it was interesting to see that feisty moment because I'm, I want to say that I caught him telling Drew that they were about to score in the next play. Sure enough, they do. But, you know, it, it was just this... <laughs> just seeing Frank, who's like this very lithe <laughs> a guy as it is, getting up in Drew Prox's face. And um, it, it was an interesting moment to witness, I think, as a fan. Um, but uh, certainly, you can see why. You can see why um, the team really, you know, kind of gets behind Frank. Like, that type of feistiness, that type of, you know, competitiveness has to rub off on all, all these guys. All right, well, let's talk real briefly about the special teams unit. Um, you know, obviously... We got to see Sackett back. He missed a 52-yard field goal, just kind of hit the the upright. Um, but from everything that we've seen in practice video and everything we've heard, it sounds like, you know, he's in pretty good shape. Um, you know, interesting kind of journey that Sackett has had being the guy leaving to go on to greener pastures. And, and when they interviewed him, it kind of sounded like, you know, he has had um, a little bit of a humble pill, kind of leaving to go onto these greener pastures, realizing that the grass isn't always greener on the other side and coming back. It's sort of interesting to see him now playing the the backfill to his backfill when he left, you know, and, yeah. you know, seeing how much Hunter really grew over those years when, um, when Jarrett was gone. But it sounds like he's going to be probably the place kicker, or he'll be the... Um, Place kicker and then um, Everett Ornstein will be the kickoff specialist, unless something changes. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously what I think you'd see anyway, but, um, you know, I think for Sackett, he just needs to go ahead and, uh, you know, again, I think take the take the advice from JT. Just be you. Mm-hmm. you. You put it through the uprights and we'll be good. Um, on the kickoff return, or sorry, the um, pet returns, though, um, we did get to see that they're trying out a bunch of different wide receivers at punt return. I think Zakari was out there, JT Clark was out there, Cephas, maybe even Taiki. Um, there were a couple, several different guys, you know, that they tried out. So, you know, we do have a lot of great guys in the wide receiver room with good hands. So I am hoping that we will be in good shape at our uh, punt return position. Great hands, and I think be more dynamic. So, you know, I think. I think this team is, is going to need some of that. They're going to need some sort of, you know, dynamic playmaker back in the, in the punt return instead of just taking fair catches. I, I They're going to need some uh, some yards from there. So good to see from that. All right. Before we move on, um, talk a little bit about single digits. Of course, you know, for those of you who've been listening, you're all aware um, every year we're going to revote, or the team is going to revote on the single digit guys. Um, several of them left this past year, so there's lots of single digit numbers out there. Of course, assuming that everyone who was a single digit last year who's returned is um, going to repeat in those numbers. Um, but who are some of your candidates or, or guys that you think may end up getting a single digit in the fall when they vote on it? I think Oscar Cardenas is one. Um, certainly, I think he's proven on the field what type of player he is. Um, but, you know, obviously we don't know about his leadership. So I think it'll be interesting to see if he's able to get one. Um, certainly, I think it'd be interesting to see, like, if Lucas Dean gets one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just thinking of Hunter Duplessis last year also, right. you know, had one. You know, the Sackett get one, you know, because, you know, of their leadership. So those are, like, just a couple of names that I thought of. Um, in terms of just performance, 
again, does it translate to leadership? Not necessarily. So, uh, you know, I don't think we've ever seen really anybody that's a surprise, though. Like, everybody just seems like one of the top players has has been up there. Yeah, I think the only surprise we've seen throughout this whole process was just um, Jamal Lignan being so young of a player and getting a single-digit number. True. Um, for me, I'm looking at JT Clark. It'll be interesting to see if all three of our top wide receivers this year yeah, um, are single point. digits. Um, and then, of course, last year I talked about how um, Kalechi had kind of shared on social media how disappointed he was that he didn't get a single digit last year and, and just kind of commented that it'll be interesting to see how he handled that disappointment. And I think it'll be telling to see if this year he gets a single digit um, because that will either demonstrate that he, you know, developed those leadership skills over the course of last year or, you know, sometimes guys don't handle disappointment well. And um, so we'll see whether or not he steps up and gets that single digit. I'm glad you brought up the defense because one guy could be Lamont McDougal. Mm-hmm. If anything, just for the goggles slash spectacles, like how right. is that not yet? Like that's got to be like a shirt, right? There's got to be like an opportunity there. Right. But who knows? Maybe he is a great leader, and we'll see him in you know in the single digits. But that's got to be an opportunity with with the goggles. Uh, I don't know. I well, I, mean, I was I, I thought about getting a picture with him because just because I love seeing him in those glasses um, after the game. Uh, I, I just forgot about it until we were like leaving. But at that point, anyway, I was like sneezing my head off. Well, <laughs> you know, UTSA just announced the um, the NIL. Um, kind of partnership that they're having so that you know these guys can um, have jerseys made and use the UTSA logo um, in addition to their name so you can have a t-shirt with a UTSA logo you can have a, your name on a jersey so maybe there'll be like a Lamont McDougal spectacles I'm just saying yeah <laughs> I don't know Something like a rowdy little... head with the spectacles on it right in the front I'm just saying there's lots of ideas. opportunities out there <laughs> anybody in marketing you can get with Lamont make it happen all right, let's have a little fun and do some way, way too early predictions. Let's focus on the season schedule. Right now, as you see it, what is UTSA's record at the end of the year? I'm picking eight and four again. What about you? I'm going to go with seven and five. We'll go through it here shortly. I feel like this is what we picked last year, too. So hopefully, we're going to have like that 12 and two season. <laughs> Like 20% of the time, our records are right all the time. So, right. <laughs> yeah, so let's go through the, through the schedule. Um, we'll break it up in quads, and okay. uh, we'll kind of go from there. First four games, Houston at home, um, Army and UT away, and then Southern here at home. Southern we know is a gimme. Yeah. Um, if we can't beat Southern, then this is just, the season's going to go awry anyway. But um, in terms of Houston, Army, and UT, I feel like Houston's a chance to uh, get an upset here. However, with so many questions specifically with you know secondary and with our running backs i think it's tough to be able to say that there's going to be you know an opening home victory how are you looking at the first three games yeah i have our first three games as a loss um i have the outside potential of a upset being army versus houston i just feel like because we still have so many pieces coming into fall camp that weren't in our spring camp there may be, you know, just some tweaks that they need to make in that game, so it might be a little bit harder. And then again, Houston is one of the best teams, um, at least on paper, that Houston's had in a long time. Army, on the other hand, I see as our potential um, upset. I think we've, you know, we've had challenges against Army in the past, injuries primarily being the big one. If we can stay healthy, um, I think that's the area where we have a shot. Again, my biggest concern out of these first four games is just minimizing injuries, staying healthy, um, so that when we go into conference play, you know, we're in a good situation because I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for us to really have a lot of wins in the conference play. I'm glad you brought up the injuries with Army because we have lost a quarterback. Maybe not completely lost a quarterback, but Frank first injured his shoulder, um, you know, in 2019 against Army, and then the next week against North Texas, he's out for the season. And then, of course, Lowell Narcisse in 2020, um, you know, since he breaks his ankle and is out for the season against Army as well. So, you know, let's knock on some wood and hopefully we can get out of this game. And honestly, these first three games are going to be physical. So just get out of them healthy um, and then we can have a good conference season. And that's really what we should be kind of focusing on anyway. I agree with you. I think, you know, Houston and Army really could go 
either way. I but, would love it if we pulled two upsets in a row, but but just you know realistic. again, let's be healthy. Let's you know way too early. Maybe we change our mind at the beginning of next season. Um, so let's go to the next quad. It's Middle Tennessee away, Western Kentucky at home, FIU away. North Texas at home. Again, I think FIU is another gimme. Um, they've just been in such disarray over the last couple seasons that, um, you know, it, it, there's just no way that they, I think, put it together enough to be able to compete against a UTSA team that's this loaded. Um, Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky, I think Western Kentucky has some questions they need to answer because they lost a lot of stu- a lot of studs on offense. So, um, Let's mention their offensive coordinators new, yeah. Correct. So I think those two games should be the wins. Where I start kind of asking questions are Middle Tennessee and North Texas. You have four wins. I have one loss, and the one loss is to North Texas. Um, North Texas, we're 2-4 and four since 2016. So, you know, it's it's been sort of a lopsided series, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I don't see that it's necessarily – I, I want to say it's a rivalry, but – with all these blowouts and things like the games really haven't been as close as we would have liked. I would, I would say it's hard to characterize it as a rivalry, but it is fun to go back and forth with North Texas fans. Why do you see it as a win? I think, you know, if you look at our record with North Texas, the team that's been at home has been the winning team. And yes, there have been these, you know, blowouts last season, a little bit of an anomaly in terms of what happened at North Texas you know, I think because we had such a great win with UAB, we had a little bit of a letdown. There was weather. It was the end of the season. There's just a lot of factors. Because we're going to be playing in the Alamo Dome against North Texas, um, and because I feel like the guys that were there last year are really going to want to, you know, avenge themselves from that loss, um, I feel like they're going to be dialed in for that. Even though it's the game right before the bye week, um, I feel like they are going to go into that North Texas game very focused, wanting to get the win, hit the bye week, and then you know move into their toughest game at the schedule. I think we're going to be kind of beat up going into this last game before the bye week. Sure. That's why I'm kind of going for it as a loss. I still think it's kind of 50-50 of going back and forth, but I really felt better about saying it's a loss right now because of just the way we lack depth at running back. And, you know, I, again, I'm kind of concerned about the quarterbacks if we can't get out of the Army game and the first four games healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Frank is susceptible to getting nicked up. So, you know, last season I said his greatest ability was his availability. So that's what I'm hoping we can continue to see throughout this season. If we can't see it throughout the season, then I think that's where, even though I don't see a great drop-off, I do see us losing the opportunity to play in a conference title game if it's Eddie Lee. That said, let's move to the last four games. We'll Go past the bye week, which we've won every single season we've played it. We've got UAB away, LaTeX at home, Rice away, and UTEP at home. I mean, look, I get UTEP is probably going to be better than they were last season, but they just they don't have a very good quarterback, and I just don't see them. I think they're going to have another bloated record where you know they're probably chasing you know uh, bowl eligibility, but. You know, I just don't see us losing to UTEP mm-hmm. uh, because, again, that's been sort of dominated by UTSA since 2016, really. Um, we have not lost to them. so um, And some of these games haven't been close. Like, it's not like it's it's been a – we've just barely knocked them off. It, it's been a sizable advantage we have over UTEP. So, um, again, Rice, I think, you know, another t- team that's just fallen on hard times. LaTeX and UAB are going to be interesting, but we both have UAB as a loss. Mm-hmm. Give me your reasons why UAB is a loss. Um, We've really struggled playing UAB in Birmingham. I think UAB is going to come into this game really wanting, again, just like we want to avenge the game that happened at North Texas, UAB is really going to want this win. They're going to be very focused on this win um, because they want, you know, to get back to the conference championship as well. Last year was the first year since 2018 they hadn't made the conference championship. So I think they're going to be very dialed in, very focused. Sounds like they have, um, you know, fixed some of the issues that they had last year. Um, They have a returning quarterback. So I think they are really the toughest competition in Conference USA. And frankly, that's why I have them as our only loss in Conference USA or potential loss. But I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Yeah, no, I think, frankly, UAB and UTSA are the two best teams. The problem, I think, with both of them is that they they have a penchant for losing games that they shouldn't. UAB in particular. 
they dropped a game against Rice last season mm-hmm. for who knows what reason, and it cost them the chance to go to really, or at least a game lost them a chance to go to the conference championship game. Um, but that said, even if we lose to UAB, and even if it, we're having two losses, I still think UAB has got one loss, and I still think because these are the two top teams, and because there's no divisions this season, it's I think just a pathway for both of them just to get through the season and then meet in Birmingham. Um, I think it's December 3rd, December 4th, whatever it is. And I, you know, again, way, way too early. But if we're playing in the conference championship game, I think we beat, we get our first win in Birmingham and uh, beat UAB for the conference championship game. And I'd just love to see Judy's face again as she's looking at both teams, yeah. two teams leaving for the AAC. Um, that bitter smile again, but who cares? Give yeah. us that trophy. Absolutely. All right, before we go, let's talk about the elephant in the room, the men's basketball program, and the fate of Coach Henson. What are your thoughts? You know, I, either way, I, I'm fine. Um, you know, is, is he the, the right coach? I, I don't know. You know, certainly I think it's pointing to the fact that, you know, he's going to be dismissed at some point. Um, we see his on-court issues. You know, there's a specific type of team he likes which is one not based on defense <laughs> this is not very defensive minded at all offense is very much is just kind of stand around and watch a guy kind of do his thing and take some bad shots you know i still go back to earlier i want to say it was one of our podcasts near the end of the football season where you brought up iowa state football and uh, i'm sorry iowa state basketball and you said wow they really move the ball around quickly as opposed to UTSA. And I was like, yeah, that, that's a problem because the type of team they have this season needed to be much more of a team play. They didn't really have an, a scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Germany is fine. Um, I think certainly he lacks some offensive skills, certainly lacks some defensive skills. And, you know, you still could have built something around him and be able to kind of maneuver around him and give him the opportunity to be the star of the team. It just doesn't feel like he was given that opportunity. Um, so anyway, you know, certainly those are some on-court issues. I think, you know, looking at it away from it, you know, the type of player that he's recruiting really is very much a bad decision-making one. I, you know, we look back at some of the stuff like with Javon and Keaton. Like Keaton certainly showing that he's more of a pro player and, you know, maybe needed that environment to flourish and show his skills. Whereas Javon is where we think he's going to be, like a lower division, like Spanish team. And, you know, he's putting up like 35 points a game. But, you know, that's that's where he's going to be. He's not going to be in the NBA. Um, but, you know, I, I still look at those those teams, those Henson teams with Javon and Keaton. And I, I think they performed exactly where you would imagine them to perform. They were competitive in the Conference USA, um, but they weren't ever championship winning teams like there was never I never looked at the, that team and saw or any of those teams and thought this is a team that's going to make a run to the NCAA tournament you know and, and so you think about it for the last this is now probably about the, what 13 years that we're going to go to the third conference so we're going to go up another conference level like we, we barely compete now in conference USA and now we're going to make another jump it's a lot to ask a program that hasn't been invested in especially from the fact that you know, in the Southland Conference, I believe they won the confer- the outright regular season title once or twice, and only one of those times did they actually go to the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. It was them being a number two, number three seed, that that's how they would, you know, make the hot, you know, Southland Conference run, and that's how they got into the tournament. But even so, looking at this, it's just, I guess my question to you is, is this. What are realistic expectations for the UTSA basketball team? Yeah, I, I think we have to set aside kind of the fandom expectations, which is we're going to be in the tournament, the NCAA tournament consistently, um, and look at the facilities, look at the investment that we've made in the program, and say, I think realistic expectations are that we're competitive in Conference USA. And certainly this year we weren't very competitive. Um, so from that perspective, this year obviously was a disappointment. But we knew that. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we knew that going in. So, you know, I, I guess where is, were we expecting something different? And I, I feel like everybody keeps expecting something different. So, you know, so you feel like it's just got to be competitive. Right. 
I agree with you. I, I think it has to be competitive. But I'll ask you then this. Why is Henson still here? Like, there's... I think if there was going to be a move, it should have been made... It would have been made a while back. Lisa Campos does not mess around. If she feels like it's time for you to go, it's time for you to go. So why do you think this is that he's still here? I think it's all about dollars and cents. And Dr. Campos has looked at all of the investments that we have made or are making in UTSA athletics. And there's a lot of money that has been committed and is about to be committed and we don't have an endless bucket of money and huge you know you know donors who are going to donate lots of money to help us achieve those goals so she's looking at it from a practical standpoint in my opinion and this year Henson had an $800,000 buyout next year it's a $400,000 buyout the following year she can let him go without a buyout and so i think we're likely going to see Henson through the end of his contract because from a dollar instance standpoint, Dr. Campos realizes that she's just invested a lot of money in the race facility, a lot of money in trailer and his staff, money in Coach Aston and her staff, and she's gonna have to pay the next basketball coach even more money to play in the AC, AAC, and we have to get a new training facility and a new convocation center. And she just has to be practical about where that money's coming from. So I think likely, we're going to see Henson, obviously we'll see Henson here next year. We'll likely see him the following year. And then when the contract expires, that's when I think she'll make the move. Barring an absolute disaster next year. And, you know, <laughs> a 2-0, and oh, you know, two-win season, that would be probably the absolute disaster that it would have to be um, to make the move next year. But I think, again, this is just about dollars and cents because the amount of attendance over the course of UTSA history is not significantly lower than it's been in the past. So for her to make up Henson's buyout at 400,000 next year is gonna take a lot more tickets than I think any coach is gonna be able to sell in that convocation center. Um, and that's just the reality. And unfortunately, that's not what UTSA fans are going to want to hear because, again, we've seen the success of Coach Aston, We've seen the success of Coach Trailer, And we want to see that success in basketball. But this is going to be a long journey to get to that point. Yeah, and that's really what I, I was hoping you would head to is the fact that, you know, the attendance hasn't been there. Like, even, even under, you know, Javon Jackson and Keaton Wallace, we talk – you know, a lot of fans talk about how great of a scoring duo they were, blah, blah, blah. But you still weren't showing up. So if you, you yeah, weren't showing not, up there. We're then... not selling out the convocation center <laughs> at $10 a ticket. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, even the games where they were giving away free tickets um, this year, you know, we're still challenged to get, you know, something other than a couple hundred people to go to the game. So let's pivot because you brought up Coach Aston. Coach Aston, I think, has now kind of squashed a little bit of the sort of facilities talk because she's, I guess, almost got two big signees today. One was Kyra White, who was a member of Judson's basketball team. She's transferring from USC. She'll have two two years of eligibility left. The other one was is a head-scratcher only because this doesn't happen for UTSA. So I'm sure we'll hear more about this, but Jordan Jenkins, who is, I think, the most improved player for for uh, the Pac-12 Pac has decided to transfer over to UTSA, which is, I mean, that's, that's a, a huge I, win. It is a huge win. I'm trying to get it out here. But that's something that even Coach Trailer could do. Like, as much as Coach Trailer has brought in some players, it's not like he brought in, like, um, Tua Tagovoa to play quarterback at UTSA. It's not like he brought in you know, any other big player here. So it's like Coach Aston has really thrown it on the table and said, Lisa, I can, I can, I'm going to put my expectations, I'm going to hike him up. Um, and, you know, you're going to see a better product on, on the court. That said, I just want to be realistic here. She could have barely put any time and effort last season. And I think she still would have topped what the basketball team has been before. Right. But there's a certain charisma with her that I think. You know, if you just pass by her, go up to her and say hello, that 
you can see is similar to Coach Trailer, and to me, you start seeing the similarities in what Lisa Campos wants in her coaches. I think Henson isn't as charismatic. Um, you know, I, I I made a joke, you know, way back in the uh, basket. I think in the football season when we went to the meet the basketball players, and I spoke up, kind of took a little. A little joke with Juice at the time, who's now transferred. <laughs> and, you know, Henson came up and talked to me afterwards, but it was very, it reminded me of me. I, I'm a pretty shy guy, so I'm not, like, I'm just going to kind of, you know, kind of say hi and then just kind of drift off. And that's how he kind of played it, and that's, it's not what it's going to take to revive the program. So, you know, you can totally see the differences, but I think Coach Aston is building something special um, in terms of UTSA women's basketball. And I think it's going to be fun to see over the next couple of years see how far she can grow it because if she's able to do some of this without facilities without you know with the promise of you know something in the end uh, it can be fun and yeah. who, but who knows maybe coach Aston doesn't stick around but hopefully she leaves somebody <laughs> can dig her place um signing day for basketball is april 13th to may 18th so keep your eyes on twitter you're going to start to see more both on the men's and women's side um of these signees kind of coming on board um, one last thing we got to talk about um, before we move on, NFL draft predictions. This year, likely going to be the biggest year when it comes to the draft for UTSA. Obviously, Marcus Davenport going in the, the first round is right now Huge, the pinnacle. Yeah. The pinnacle for UTSA in the draft. However, we have multiple players with the opportunity to get drafted for the first time ever. Tariq Woolen obviously being the big name out there. Lots of talk about where he might go. What's your gut? Third round. I think he goes third round, maybe about mid-third. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to get the chance to be there, which is an opportunity of a lifetime. Um, so I'll certainly certainly be sporting my UTSA flag, or at least definitely my hat, um, just to, you know, hear him have his name called so it's going to be a i think a good thing for utsa we're going to hear a birds up squeal after they they say <laughs> Tariq Woolen's name and you're going to know where it came from um spencer burford what are your thoughts on where he's going to end up you know i'm seeing him now in the fifth round so certainly there's been some things that you know teams have seen but i i would say you know he gets drafted in the, on the third day um and certainly you know i think somebody's going to get a little bit of a project, but I think someone that can contribute long-term. So I, I think that both Woolen and Burford could be guys that could be in the league for a few years. Uh, Sincere McCormick, where do we think about him? I think he's going to be an undrafted free agent. I, I Even going into this, I never felt like he was going to be drafted, or if he was, going to be like late seventh round. Um, I, I just, I think that there's nothing that he's, did at the combine or has done that says I'm much more special than some of these other players. And the fact that running backs really aren't a commodity and they're not going like in the first round or anything like that pretty much tells you, you know, this isn't going to happen. So yeah. And don't panic UTSA fans. If he does not get drafted. I mean, again, there's always that possibility he can go in the seventh round. Don't panic, you know, feel really confident that he's going to get picked up as a, um, undrafted free agent but you gotta temper your expectations again running backs this year it's a very deep running back um, draft list again no one's expected as as deep as the the running back group is no one is expected to go in the first round so no shot against sincere if he goes as an undrafted free agent a couple of other guys that you know might hit that undrafted free agent radar what are your thoughts? I would say Charles Wiley. Um, certainly Clarence Hicks might have an opportunity. Um, Jalen Haynes, possibly. The surprise name is, would be BJ Daniels, but he has done a good job in terms of playing special teams at UTSA, so he could use that experience to carve himself out of career in the NFL. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, good for him. You know, he was able to find his niche at the very end of his career, and look, it could get him an NFL contract yeah, I mean, so trailer said they've gotten a lot of calls about him so that's kind of he's like the the kind of surprise dark horse right yeah yeah and, and good for him though again I, I can't say that enough i mean that's you know going from a guy that probably wasn't gonna be drafted to somebody that could potentially sign a contract and you know be a contributed member it's great yeah i think you know looking at the program in the nfl 
we're likely to have several guys on rosters. You know, don't forget we still have Kevin Strong with the Titans and, of course, Marcus Davenport with the Saints. Um, so I think it's going to be really exciting to watch the NFL now. Not something I normally like to do, but I will watch and support <laughs> former Roadrunners. Um, and then finally, April 19th and 20th are UTSA Giving Days. Lots of different programs um, have the opportunity for you to give money. There's supposed to be some fun activities going on on campus if anybody's on campus. So um, come out and support UTSA if you're able to. Thank you for joining us on the Hail Married podcast. I'm A. Toves. And I'm Toves. We'll be back this summer to gear up for another season of UTSA football. Birds up.